Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Let's go to our study this morning, Luke chapter chapter 6. Glad you guys online could join us this morning and hope you got your cup of coffee and you're settled in and, and, and ready to dig into the Scriptures. Let's look at this, Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Then he lifted his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Verse 20. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. And Lord, we just uh, ask now that you'd settle our hearts and truly settle mine, Lord. Help me to be focused on your things this morning and to convey your heart and Lord, to, to adequately and properly represent you. Lord, this is such an important teaching. The things you said to your disciples, Lord, are still for us today. And I know that, Lord, I will share these, but I'm not the one that's conveying this to disciples in the sense that these are mine, these are yours. We're your disciples, Lord, and we need to hear you speaking to us as clearly as you spoke to Peter and John and Matthew and, and Levi and, and, and all of the other disciples and, and the disciples from generation to generation that, Lord, we would hear your heart and grasp the scriptures as you portrayed them and not as we twist them into. Father, I pray this morning just for your spirit to be in our midst, to lead us, to teach us, and Lord, to fill us in such a way that the things we would hear this morning, our hearts would be just melted before you so that you could reshape them into the way you would have us be and live. Lord, I thank you this morning that this is a work that you do in us and not a work that we do by our own effort. And yet, Lord, we do want to step out by faith and meet you. Lord, we do want to step out and be an obedient people, but Lord, we know that in the end, that as we step out, we step out in the power of your Spirit, and we look for your Spirit and, and, and to meet us and to teach us and grow us and to, to bring these things to be in our lives. So Lord, help us this morning. We just thank you and we praise you. And, and in Jesus' name, all God's people prayed. Amen. Verse 20 again. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus, as we began to, I set the stage for that last week at the end of the message, but Jesus is now moving into what we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes, right? And we discussed a little bit last week whether or not, you know, this is the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon in the Plain, and, you know, there's arguments over that, you know, well, he came down the mountain, so this is a different sermon. Some who say, no, it's the same sermon, and he came down, but he came to a level place. You know what? It doesn't matter, because whether it's the same sermons or a different sermon, this is the message that Jesus gave to people. This is it. And he's going to give it in a lot of different ways over time. You're going to see this throughout the Gospel of Luke. If you've studied the Gospels, you know that this message permeates everything. It's embedded right in the very foundation of all the things that Jesus talked about. And as he does this, keep in mind also when he says, blessed are you, what he's saying literally is, oh, happy are you. Not happiness that we think of in a worldly sense with our emotions, but the happiness that comes from that contentment, that peace, the riches that Christ himself brings into our lives through the righteousness of God's kingdom that he begins to birth in our hearts. The kingdom of God is not here yet, right? 
but he's preparing us for the kingdom of God. And this literally is kingdom living that he's talking about, kingdom attitudes, kingdom thinking. And, and as we're going to find, it's the opposite of the way the world speaks and thinks, right? So he comes right to the first attitude. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Poor. <laughs> for yours is the kingdom of God. Poverty. Added to be attitude number one. Poverty. Poverty. Jesus says that if you truly want to be happy in this life, you, you must first and foremost become poor. Now, before you run out and, and cash out your bank accounts and go out and just start throwing your money out the window to people, which is fine if the Lord tells you to do that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He is not talking about financial poverty, but what he's talking about is poverty of spirit. You know, it's interesting, Matthew makes this clear in his gospel where he records the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and he records Jesus saying it this way. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Jesus is saying that real joy, real blessing, real happiness will only be possible when we get to the point where we realize that there's nothing good in us, nothing good in us, that we are nothing in and of ourselves, realizing that there's nothing we can do uh, on our own part to add true value to our lives, at least not in a spiritual sense, that when we get to that place where we recognize that it's only in Jesus, that anything of worth and value in our lives can be found only in Jesus, when we look to him and not to ourselves for that which he alone can give us and make us. That's the idea of spiritual poverty. Now, contrast this with the message of the world in which we live. The world tells you what? You're inherently good right? We're inherently good. I think back to that couple that went through ISIS territory on bicycles because they believed that at the heart, ISIS, they just be reasoned with, they're, they're, everybody's good at their core. They just have had bad experiences and we can just, if they can just see something sincere, they're going to change. They're dead today. ISIS killed them. They obviously did not see what they were seeing. No, we're not. And it's not just that an ISIS person is, is not good at the core. None of us are. The scripture says none of us are as human beings. We're fallen. We've been corrupted. We were created good, but we traded that goodness. We traded the very image of God that was stamped on our lives for, for our own desires. And it corrupted us and it changed us. But the world still believes that we're inherently good and that we have the ability in and of ourselves to make something of ourselves. We're told that we all have the potential and the capability within us to do anything we want. And that's all that's needed to release that potential is to increase our self-esteem, to, to, to feel better about ourselves, to, to learn to trust in ourselves and our abilities more, to mature and grow and to ultimately to self-actualize, right? I'm a psychology major in my undergraduate. <laughs> down the toilet, you know? Now, there's not everything that's wrong in it, but it's a world, it's man's view of man. And that's always a bad starting point, right? That's a bad starting point. But the idea of self-actualization, we just continue to evolve into something more as we open ourselves. But you see, the world's message is all about self. It's all about self, what you can do. Now, look, I'm not saying that you don't have abilities in you to do great things in this world. 
you could rise to be president. Good luck, right? If you want it, you can have it, right? You can accomplish things in this life. There, I'm not taking away from those things. And I'm certainly not taking away that, you know, I'm not sending a message saying you should feel bad about yourself. I'm not, not at all. You know, I know that there's people in this world that have been so beaten down by others and, and treated poorly by others. Some of them growing up in, in homes where they were just, you know, abused and, and shouted down and everything. Look, I'm not saying that it's wrong, that, you know, that you need to feel bad about yourself. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying when it comes to spiritual things, the things of value for your life, you, you don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. You see, the world says, esteem yourself, live for yourself, and you'll find happiness. The religionists of this world say, just keep the rituals, live a good life, keep the law. You, you are the means of your own righteousness and spirituality. You can do it. But Jesus's message is the opposite. It's the opposite. Jesus says, if you truly want to be happy, oh, how happy are you? Let go of yourself and esteem me. Jesus says, if you truly want to be happy, oh, how happy are you? Look to me for your worth and value, not to yourself. Jesus says, oh, how happy are you if you learn to exalt me and not yourself? Jesus says, empty yourselves of, of ever, everything that has to do with you and fill it with me. And oh, how happy you will be. Let go of your religious self-effort, empty yourself of it, and look to me, Jesus says, and you will find true righteousness and the spiritual riches you are really seeking and need for your life. You see, as you willingly exchange your, your worth, your value for his worth and his value, when you empty yourself of yourself and, and you let him replace your life with his, he will open the gates of the kingdom with all of its riches, which he, which he's then able to pour into your life, replacing far more than you ever gave up. It's the very idea that Paul expresses repeatedly in the scriptures when he talks about our being in Christ, in Christ. It's, it's our being in Christ that puts us in the position to, to receive all of the spiritual riches that, that, that the father intended for and lavished upon Jesus but which we then receive as a byproduct of being in him. I think many people misunderstand the whole concept of who we are, what we're receiving, because they misunderstand from the get-go a book like Ephesians. If you don't understand that what Ephesians is talking about, when Paul wrote Ephesians, that he's talking about it all in the context of our being in Christ. If you don't understand that, you're going to have a misconstrued idea of what Ephesians is really saying. But when you begin to see what he's saying here about you being in Christ, then it all starts to make sense. Listen to what he says. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show, listen, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ, in Christ. Who are the exceeding riches being directed at? 
they're being directed at Christ. He's the recipient of all that the Father ever intended. He's lavishing them back upon Jesus for Jesus' willingness to step out of that, that, that position in the triune, and the triunity of God to come to this earth as, as a man in the flesh, yet God, to leave it all behind, as Paul talks about in Philippians 2, right? To leave it all behind, to come here, to make that ultimate price to be paid for you and for me. And now he's back in that place and God's lavishing it all upon him. But guess what? As we're in Christ, we become recipients of that. And Paul elsewhere calls us co-heirs, co-recipients of these things. But it's because we're in Christ. It's not even because of the things that we do in Christ in this life. It's because of our being in Christ. It is only in Christ that we're going to find the true riches that, 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 that will fill our lives. Riches that are associated with true righteousness, which, which Jesus is able to give us. And oh, how happy, he says, we will be when we find that. But to be in Christ and to receive these things, you have to first come to poverty of spirit. You have to find poverty of self. You have to decrease so that he can increase. He can't increase when you're filled with yourself. You must decrease so that he can increase. You have to die to self. That is my most hated word in Scripture or phrase, and yet it's my most loved phrase of Scripture. Die to self, to me, is a painful idea because I like myself way too much. You know, when Jesus says, you know, love others as you love yourself, right? We'll talk about that more when we get to that. People always want to use that to teach self-esteem. But that's, if you understand what Jesus is saying, he's using a parallel to say, you know how much you love yourself. Because by nature, we do tend to love ourselves. We, even those of us that beat ourselves down still love ourselves because we pamper ourselves. We want things for ourselves and we make things about us. So the idea is that we're going to love ourselves. It's our nature to do that. And yet at the same time, the idea of die to that, that's painful to me. And yet I can tell you this, then I can only speak from my own life. And I certainly haven't died enough. You know, I'm trying to get to that place. Like, like Paul, I die daily, you know, but what I have learned is that the more I die, the more he lives, <laughs> the more I die, the more he lives, the more I let go, the more he steps in and controls and directs and changes things. You have to die to self so that he can raise you to new life and live in you as, as you live in him. And, and as he says in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the cross? It's an instrument of death, right? We're not picking up Jesus's cross. Jesus' cross was his alone. Only Jesus's cross could pay the price for our redemption. And yet Jesus talks about our cross here, taking up our cross, that instrument of death. The idea is placing ourselves continually upon that instrument of death, dying to self and follow me. Forever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Ooh, impacting. 
Now, people look at that and they, the spirit, you know, we talked before about you need the spirit to, to open up what the scriptures are saying. You can't grasp it all with your mind. The man with the carnal mind or woman with the carnal mind looks at that and says, but Jesus is talking about you need to kill yourself. No, he's not. But he is talking about letting that part of you die. That part of you that wants control, that part of you that thinks you can do this, that part of you that makes everything about you, until that dies, you're not going to find the true life that he's come to bring you. You're not going to find the happiness that the scriptures say that he wants to give you. This is the first and foremost principle for life as God intends it. And I think that this one right up front permeates everything else he's about to say in this sermon. I think it undergirds all of the other Beatitudes. It begins here. It's the beginning point of finding true spiritual happiness for any man or woman. And yet, it's a point of self-realization, not self-actualization, self-realization that we will only find as we look honestly at ourselves in light of who Jesus is. And when we come to the realization of how fallen we really are, when we come to the place of realizing how sinfully infected our lives really are, how corrupted we really are as human beings, only then are we going to be in a position to experience the poverty of spirit to find access to the blessings that will flow from our lives or into our lives from the kingdom of God. It begins there. Blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Look at verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled. Attitude number two, be attitude number two, hunger. Hunger. Hunger is a natural physiological response for all human beings. I got to tell you, since I got braces put on, I am constantly hungry because I'm just not eating. It's like food is not palatable to me. Those of you who have them, I see it's nodding. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. And you're, yeah, and you're starving because the food collects on them, right? So half the food you're eating ain't making it to your stomach anyways, but the late night snacks have kind of gone out the window. I've lost 10 pounds since I put these on. That's great. It's a great diet. At some point, it's got to curb the other way. But look, hunger is a natural physiological response, whether you got braces or not, right? It's a big deal. And it can be quite powerful of force because it creates pangs. That's what drives us, right? It's the hunger pangs that we get. And it causes us to go seeking out the nourishment that our human bodies need. And the greater our need for food, the stronger the hunger pangs will be, to a point, right? If you understand what happens to starving people, starving people get to a place where they're just not hungry anymore. They're not hungry anymore. However, you can stir it back up pretty quick, and then you got to keep them from eating too much because they'll eat themselves to death. But they can pass a point. But but for most people, the idea is we get to the point, pangs drive us to, to our greater need for food, make us aware of it. But we all know that Jesus here is not talking about hunger in, in a physical sense. But, but rather, he's talking about hunger in the sense of spiritual need. Hunger in the sense of spiritual need. Matthew, again, makes this clear in his gospel where he records Jesus saying this in Matthew 5 and verse 6. Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Yes. Yes, Jesus is saying that in the same way that a person who's hungry seeks out food with the intent of satisfying their appetite and quelling those hunger pains, in the same way that their hunger drives them and gives them a single focus, get some food, right? 
He now equates the blessedness, the happiness that's found by those who hunger spiritually in a way that causes them to focus on him and, to, and, and, and the righteousness that he desires to give them, that, they, that they'll seek it out from him, that he'll be the source of what they need. And the connection that Jesus is making here isn't all that easy for us, I think, in the same way that the crowd that was listening to them to fully grasp. I mean, we understand hunger. I mean, I'm talking about in terms of my braces, but the people who Jesus was talking to related to it in a completely different way. You know, our idea of hunger is mostly about needing a late night snack and going down and raiding the refrigerator to find one. But the people who Jesus was talking to fully understood the implications of hunger because it was a world where food and food food sources were scarce and thin. Even in where it existed, it was always a very fragile kind of existence. It could be there one day and gone the next. And the poverty that most lived in made hunger more pronounced. They didn't have the money to buy the food to keep themselves fed. And with that experiential knowledge, they would have been connecting completely with what Jesus was saying here. They would have known what it was to be hungry and how those intense hunger pangs would, would push them to aggressively look for food that they needed to, to satisfy their hunger, to search high and low for it in order to quell those pangs. And they also understood how their poverty became a major factor in it all because their hunger was a byproduct of their poverty. So when Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger, when Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they would have made that connection and understood that he was describing a life of aggressively seeking out what they needed to satisfy their intense spiritual hunger, a hunger that was a byproduct of their spiritual poverty. And they understood that he was saying that, that only he could give them what they needed to satisfy that hunger, the, the righteousness of God's kingdom that comes only by looking to him by faith alone. Even though we might not relate experientially to, to hunger that Jesus is talking about in the same way that those crowds would have been as they gathered and listened to him teach, it is still a truth nonetheless for all of us. We have all by nature as human beings have a hunger that exists within us. It's in all of us. And not just a hunger for food, but, but, but a hunger in a broader sense, which, which we try to satisfy with all sorts of things in this life, hoping that it'll quell those pangs. We buy the latest big screen TVs, the latest high tech gadgets and toys, the latest and hottest cars on the, on the market. We, we invest in multiple vacations. We seek out pleasurable things and pleasurable experiences wherever we can find them. We, we try to quell the hunger pangs with all of these things, trying to quell what's going on within us at the very core of our being, hoping that these things that we're pursuing and, and consuming will satisfy the hunger within us. And guess what? It never seems to do it, at least not for long. They, they quell the hunger pangs for a while, but then they come right back up again. And we begin to fill it with more and more, pursuing more and more stuff in this life, hoping it'll solve it for us. I had a friend of mine and I've referenced him often, but it's a sergeant major I worked with in the Army. I was at a summer camp with him, and, you know, I was trying to witness to him, which was hard. And most days I was a terrible witness to be with him, to him honestly. But, you know, we went out to, uh, I remember we went out to, uh, when we had a break in the training schedule, we went out and got some pizza at Pizza Hut down in, um, right, right outside of Fort Riley, Kansas, in Junction City. 
And on the way back from that place to the, the post, we passed an RV lot and he saw an RV says, hey, hey, Captain, pull in there for a minute. Pull in there for a minute. You know, I've been wanting one of these. I've been wanting me one of these. Within 15 minutes, he'd signed a contract for like a gazillion dollar RV. You know, it just blew my mind because, I mean, Cindy and I, if we bought a car for $300, we deliberated on it for like months, you know, and this guy was doing this. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, he's filling his life with all kinds of stuff, hoping it's going to solve it. You know, a couple of years later, he didn't even have that RV, got rid of it, never used it, never worked out, didn't turn out to be what he wanted, just got rid of it. How many people are like that? I mean, think about that. But that's what this world does. That's what this world's doing now. That's what this world's doing with politics, whether you know it or not. We're trying to fill some need within us, hoping that we can just get the right mix of stuff and it's just going to make things better for our lives. Jesus is talking about something far more than all of this that will satisfy the hunger that resides within all of us as human beings, something which only he alone can, can give us, something which produces the righteousness that he says will, will satisfy hunger and, and quell those hunger pangs in a very, very lasting way. Jesus talking about himself and the, the righteousness that he alone produces in us as we make him our source of spiritual nourishment and, and we feed upon him. I mean, think about what he said in John 6.35 because it's clear. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. <laughs> I'm the bread for your life. I'm the bread of eternal life. I'm the bread for your life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.